I feel like the Knicks they don't really understand how the modern basketball game works. I think they're they're so obsessed with their brand and how how glorious they are that they're gonna pick a guy like Thibodeau who's from the old game, the game of ten years ago. Welcome back to the Getting Buckets Podcast. This is your host, David. And it's Ethan. And we're back with some more riveting NBA news. So we'll just get right into it. I thought um, we would start off the show by kind of taking a break from the coronavirus because it's all we've basically spoken about for the past couple of episodes. And uh, I think what better way to do that than by uh, discussing the new news about the Knicks head coaching search. Because we love to clown the Knicks on the show. So, uh, Ethan, why don't you just break it down? Who are some of the candidates? Let's just talk it through. All right, well, first of all, I just want to say the fact that there are so many candidates is kind of like a joke to me. And this just, you know, epitomizes the Knicks. Really just have no idea what direction they want to move in. It's, it's pretty funny. Uh, deserves some clowning, in my opinion. But regardless, um, some of the coaches we have here, you know, there's Kenny Atkinson, the former Nets coach. There's... Tom Thibodeau, the former Bulls and uh, Minnesota head coach. Mike Woodson. Uh, Ime Udoka, who is the Sixers assistant. Uh, Jason Kidd, who just got added to the mix uh, yesterday, I think. Chris Fleming, the Bulls assistant. And Mike Miller, who is the current coach. And then I heard a rumor that um, John Calipari would be the favorite if he decides to leave Kentucky. So let's, uh, let's just go right into it. Let's break it down person by person. I know you have a list right here, so let's start with Mike Woodson. Pros, cons, what do you think about a potential Mike Woodson return to the New York Knicks? Because he did coach them, we can't forget, he did coach them to their best record in the last 20 years uh, with the 2013 New York Knicks. Yeah, but that's not the next following season, he, they had a record of like 37 and 45. Um, as he, tried to go, he tried to play really big. Uh, he didn't really have the personnel for it. Uh, they kind of suffered. I don't think he really realized the mistake that he made, but the damage was done. And then once Phil Jackson took that job over, he fired him. Mike wasn't to me has potential. Did have a good run with the Knicks, but I wouldn't take him. A couple episodes ago, we talked about the whole Tom Thibodeau versus Kenny Atkinson. Obviously, a lot more of the candidates have been revealed that we didn't know. But let's just uh, go back to that argument. Do you think that the Knicks should be seriously considering either of those candidates, and why? Well, Tom Thibodeau is the favorite. I don't know why. It's been proven that he's going to play his best players, you know, 40-plus minutes, uh, which is concerning, especially for younger players. You don't want to have any injuries. And, you know, then his, he was known as being a really great defensive coach in Chicago. He went to Minnesota. It wasn't really that good at the bottom of the league. But you, it, can't really, you can't really blame him because he had two of the softest players in the NBA as well. They just were not committing to the kind of style he wanted to play. Well, I I will um, agree with that, and I know we stated that before on a di- uh, different podcast episode. But yeah, I to me the Tom Thibodeau I think would be pretty shaky. To me, I think we've also mentioned this before, but the obvious coach has to be Kenny Atkinson. I mean, if you really want a coach that's going to develop young players, especially guards, who the Knicks are are planning to sign Lamelo Ball, assuming they get the high pick, assuming they get it, but. To me, that would just be the best option available. He's the point guard whisperer. I think you just have to sign him. And then, you know, Jason Kidd, uh, to me, uh, really is also a, a kind of a shaky... Let's, let's talk about Jason Kidd a bit more because as I see it... Listen, first of all, I have to just have a disclaimer. I'm a very big J. Kidd fan. So am I. As a player, uh, he was like one of my favorite players growing up. Uh, so, you know, 
Off the court issues aside, which there's many, uh, and I don't defend that either. But aside from that, um, you know, I do, I do want to just say that I have some bias towards Jason Kidd. Uh, do you think that he can maybe learn from his mistakes? Because he did have mistakes when he was coach of the Bucks. So let's just talk this through. Because as I see it, I feel like a lot of people are too hard on Jason Kidd. Um, I remember the media when he was fired said, oh, you know, Jason Kidd was, uh, he was not talking to Jabari Parker, apparently. And that was part of the reason why he got fired. But as you know, Jabari Parker left the team after that. Uh, he signed with the Bulls. So basically, the, there is a whole, like, brew three of Jabari Parker, Giannis, and Thon Maker. And then those two guys left. And when Budenholzer took over, the whole core was basically just elevate Chris Middleton to all-star and get really good, solid veterans to play around Giannis. And that's kind of been their whole plans ever since, and it's been a great plan. But how much do you think Jason Kidd is to blame for what happened in Milwaukee because they were just not competing at the level that people expected them to, even though you could say that Jason Kidd is the reason why Giannis is such a great player today? Because keep in mind, it was Jason Kidd who decided to start Giannis at point guard, and that's when Giannis had his five straight triple doubles and was really put on the map. It's like, holy cow, this is an incredible player. Well, obviously he deserves some credit. I remember before he came uh, to, the, to, to the Bucks. Um, they had like a 15 game uh, season where they only won 15 games. Right. And then right after that, they won 42. And they went to the playoffs. But I think that's just the, you know, that's where they plateaued. You know, they could not really, I think the next season they won like 40 games and they missed the playoffs. Uh, so, you know, and the same thing was for Jay Kidd in Brooklyn too. You know, they had, they were a team that had up really high expectations. But come on, nobody in hindsight that team was a 44-win team. Just nobody wanted it here. With the way D-Will was playing for the Nets, they were a 44-win team. I think everybody expected Darren Williams to take that next step, and he never did. And he fizzled out like after a couple of years. He just, he just didn't rise up to the occasion. And also, it has to be said, Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett, for all the smack they talk about Brooklyn, they played awfully. I think uh, K- Paul Pierce played okay. Nah, I think KG really did not play well, though. KG did not play well. Paul Pierce did not play at the level that people expected him to play because people still thought that he was going to be like a 19-point-per-game uh, scorer, and he just wasn't that for them. I think if not for Joe Johnson and Brooke Lopez, that would have been a really bad year. Jason Kidd got into a lot of flack in his only season with the Nets because he tried to usurp Billy King's spot as a GM. He basically tried to make a power move, and it failed dramatically, and then he got traded, got traded. to the Bucks. Yeah. Uh, I didn't even know the coach would be traded when, I was, when that happened. I was like 15, I think, and then that happened. It was crazy. In hindsight, he was completely right about Billy King. And he knew that Billy King was an idiot, and he knew that Billy King would run the teams to the ground. So I think that Jason Kidd has a, he definitely has a really good basketball mind, and you kind of see the same thing with the Bucks. When he was coach of the Bucks, he was running a defense that was all about blitzing these like uh, two guys on one man blitz defenses. But it was just, uh, it was very easy to figure out. But I think that Jason Kidd is a guy who can innovate, and I think he's someone who might learn from his mistakes. So I wouldn't count him out. I also remember reading that he has a very good relationship with James Dolan because he did play. In the, in the Knicks' final season, he did play. He was a starting point guard for most of the season. He's given credit for being the veteran leadership that the Knicks needed to have a great season. So I think that Jason Kidd has the right temperament for the job, but I do agree with you. I think that um, Kenny Atkins is a better candidate just because he has a better track record, and he really took a team and just developed them, and that's exactly what the Knicks need right now. I mean, the Nets went from a laughing stock to a respectable team, and uh, I mean, obviously, I think Jason Kidd also did do that on a, a certain level in Milwaukee, but I just think Kenny Atkinson would be a better suited coach for that job. And again, you can make the same argument with Kenny that even when they added Kyrie Irving, they just were not getting the results. 
the Nets did lose some of their bench. But again, results are results. And Kenny got fired at the end of the day. So I think it's a very interesting toss-up. I think it really comes down to philosophy. So uh, before we talk about the, kind of the philosophy and what the Knicks need to be looking for going forward, I just want to kind of talk about some of the other wild cards. First of all, obviously there's Mike Miller, who is the current interim Knicks head coach and who's done a fantastic job with the limited resources he has. In a way, it's quite stunning that the Knicks are so eager to get rid of him considering that he's done a decent job, he's developed rapport with the players, and he has a philosophy that could work. I think the Westchester Knicks were always doing well in the G League when he was coaching them. I feel bad for Mike Miller, honestly. I think he's getting, he's getting the short end of the stick. He has proven to me that he can be a respectable head coach in this league, and honestly, they, I feel like they should give him one more year at it, see how he does, uh, so he could have a full year because he did take over the abysmal job that B- David Fizdale did for the Knicks. I honestly, I, I do feel a little bad for him, but he's not going to be the head coach next season. I'm sorry, it's not going to happen, unfortunately. So then there's also uh, Ime Udoka, who is a Sixers uh, assistant. He's from the Greg Popovich tree. I think he spent a couple years with him down there in San Antonio. And Leon Rose is was Joel Embiid's former agent, and I feel like Ime Udoka could be seen as some allure to bring Joel Embiid. Jason Kidd is seen the same way. As is the key to Giannis, because Giannis was very mad when they fired Jason Kidd, apparently. Yeah, even but, though he's seen so much success. Yeah, but but ask Giannis how he feels about Budenholzer. Right. I think if it was a good move. So I really don't see any validity in it. Um, I think he realized that Jason, once he saw the success he was having with Budenholzer, when they're, they can win 70 games a year, like almost every year. I mean, he I think he knows that Budenholzer is a better coach than Jason Kidd. Do you think Giannis or Joel Embiid, for that matter, are going to leave their teams? I think Joel Embiid will get traded. I don't think Giannis is going to leave Milwaukee, but we'll see how, depending on how Milwaukee does in the postseason, I, we'll see where Giannis, what, what, what he does um, for free agency. And, of course, he has another year left after yeah, this year. Yeah, he does. Yeah. But let's, uh, let's stay on topic. So do you think that the Knicks right now should be moving towards the direction of you know, an unknown assistant, uh, just like the Nets kind of gave Kenny Atkinson a chance when he was relatively unknown? Do you think the the Knicks maybe have the room to do that, or should they be shooting big and trying to make these connections to the big free agents? Uh, no, they sh- they sh- should hire somebody who's had head coaching experience before, like Jamal Mosley, the Mavericks assistant. He has no head coaching experience, but he has like a really high knowledge of analytics and stuff. I feel like that could be uh very attractive to people who look into that, but I wouldn't I wouldn't do it. To me, you got to go some with somebody who's has a proven track record. Um, Kenny Atkinson may have not had a positive record within coaching the Nets, but uh, anybody who watched knows anybody who was, watched knows that he was a great coach. Right. Uh, I'll tell you what I think. I think that the writing's on the wall. We got news today that the Knicks hired Worldwide West to be the executive vice president. Well, we already knew that he was going to be involved. In right, but it's already. official today. Okay. So keeping that in mind, they have Worldwide West. They have Leon Rose. It seems like the front office is going to be very player oriented. It looks like they're going to try to shoot for the stars. Uh, now, last year they made that same mistake of trying to shoot for the stars, but it didn't work. It obviously fizzled dramatically, and they weren't able to get that Kyrie, KD coup that they wanted, and they had to settle for Julius Randle. You think that maybe with a guy like Jason Kidd or a guy like Ime Udoka, that maybe they'll have a shot for one of those big stars, or do you think that they need to just stick to finding a coach with a philosophy? No. Uh, there's... I know I've said we said this before on previous podcasts. I'll say it again: hire somebody with a proven track record. I feel like that's the Knicks' biggest problem. They just hire people on a like on a on a fly with no head coaching experience or 
not really any experience to see how it's going to pan out. Hope for the best. I disagree. I feel like it, it's been so bad with the Knicks that you just have to sign somebody who has that experience. What do you think about John Calipari? You know, it's kind of a, a wild card. I don't think he's ever going to uh, um, say he's going to leave Kentucky. So I, I don't really see that as a viable option. But obviously he's been proven to be a great coach in in college. And, and he, he has coached the NBA before, he too. He coached the Nets, and they made the playoffs one year. He coached there for two and a half years. They made the playoffs once. I think, though, if they're going to get Calipari, it may just be the Kentucky pipeline, too. And that's, again, that's just going to be part of this whole signing players over coaching philosophy. I think the Knicks are really ready to swing for the fences. And then the last thing I want to mention, there's one candidate you didn't mention. Uh, I'm pretty sure that Becky Hammond, who's currently assistant coach of the Spurs, is being considered as one of the candidates. Now, if Becky Hammond would be hired by the Knicks, she would be the first professional female head coach in pro-American sports in a male league. Now, Danny Green praised Becky Hammond recently in an interview, I think two weeks ago, praised her as one of the five best coaches he's ever had. What do you think? Do you think that the NBA is ready for a female head coach? Do you think that maybe a team like the Knicks, which is so prone to messing things up, would kind of mess it up for her and maybe set her ambitions back? The NBA is in need of a female head coach. Becky Hammond has a proven track record of success. She's coached. I'm pretty sure she coached um, the. She coaches the summer league team for the Spurs. Right. Um. Every player who's had her says she's a great coach. I would not be mad at all if the Knicks signed Becky Hammond. Either she does have a proven track record. She is shown to be a a great basketball mind. I think that would actually be a great a great hire. Uh, I just want to ask you, who do you think is going to get hired for the next job? I think it's going to be Tom Thibodeau, just because. You know, we've come to see this from the Knicks that they don't really go for gutsy hires. They don't really go for, you know, they're kind of stuck in the past. I think it's it's pretty shocking how the Knicks have really been behind the times in terms of signing players. The kind of players that they sign, are, you know, are, you know, from a time of the past. I mean, they signed Julius Randle and, you know, he just, his shooting was just not there. But he was their biggest signing. And, uh, for example, so they don't really, I feel like the Knicks... They don't really understand how the modern basketball game works. I think they're they're so obsessed with their brand and how how glorious they are that they're going to pick a guy like Thibodeau who's from the old game, the game of 10 years ago, and uh, that's fine. You know, he'll be there for a year or two. They'll fire him, and then they'll be back at square one. I think what they need to do, no matter who they pick, it needs to be a guy who's going to build a culture that's going to last there for years because the last thing you need as a rookie is to have coaches bouncing around, and especially when you're a perpetually young team and not even veterans want to go play for you. You know, that's just the absolute worst situation for a rookie, especially if you're going to get a guy like LaMelo Ball, let's say. Ideal scenario for the Knicks to get LaMelo Ball. If he doesn't have a stable locker room, if he doesn't have a stable coaching during his time with the Knicks, he's going to leave. That's just fact. So I don't think the Knicks can mess this up. I think they really need to see which coaches have a philosophical vision for the team, and whoever even has that should be considered. You know, don't I don't think they should be looking for guys just because they might be able to sign a player out of it. Okay, you get Uriannis, you get Joel Embiid, but the Knicks have shown they can't build the teams around those guys. You know, they had Carmelo, and they threw away half a team to get him in a trade, even though he was going to go there anyway. And, you know, they couldn't get LeBron, they signed Amari, we talked about this, but they don't know how to build around those guys. They had a fluke year of 52 wins with Mike Woodson, and even then, it went straight to the toilet. So, I don't have any faith in the Knicks. But I think that they can get it right. They can correct. This is the way that they correct the course. Where they think about, not about right now. They think about 10 years. And to become the winning team that they always seen themselves as. 
And that's all I really have to say. Yeah, but the problem the Knicks have, they think it all it can all just go away with a snap of a finger. Building a winning culture takes time. And if you're t- hiring Tom Thibodeau, you're guaranteeing he's going to be fired in one to two years, unfortunately. Hire Kenny Atkinson, keep him for four years. He was there for three and a half years with the Nets. They came up with success. Do it again. You'll see success happening for the Knicks. Obviously, we're trying to stray away from talking about uh, coronavirus and the NBA so much, but I think we would be remiss not to have a little update on what's going on. Right. So, um, first of all, Nikola Jokic is currently in Serbia. He tested positive while he was there. Uh, he's going to be coming back in a week. I think as of now, he's asymptomatic. Malcolm Brogdon also tested positive, and he has some light symptoms, nothing serious. Two players on the Phoenix Suns, unnamed, have tested positive. Uh, another unnamed Western Conference playoff team had four players test positive. Jabari Parker, Buddy Heald, Alex Len, and the Sacramento Kings, which are technically a playoff team, all tested positive. Derek Jones Jr. on the Miami Heat tested positive. I don't know what this is, you know, what's causing this. Maybe they, uh, it seems like none of these guys even knew they had it, um, except for Malcolm Brogdon, and he seems to be doing okay. Well, he was at a protest too, so. Right. Uh, so, you know, it's happening. Kind of the fears that people were had are coming true. People are going to, at least they're getting tested now and not when they're in Florida. But do you think that this spells disaster for the potential for the bubble? Or do you think it's important that the NBA pushes forward? Uh, I'm going to say no. I think it's actually better that it's happening now, you know, when there's still over a month. So the season starts because you- you're not going to have COVID in your system for that long. After you get over it and you're not really showing symptoms for a week or two, you're not really going to be transmitting it anymore. So once those players test positive for antibodies and all the players are going to come back to their home markets, they're going to get tested. They're, they're, if they are do test positive, they're going to have time to recover. I don't think this is going to affect the NBA's plans at all. Uh, I am a little concerned if a really star player test positive during the season but if people are testing positive right now still with a lot of time left until the season starts i'm not worried right now no and i also i want to just mention i read a really interesting article yesterday that um i think the yale school of health they're using this nba experiment to get some high quality research out of it where they're going to be piloting some saliva tests that should only cost like less than a dollar that you'll be able to get in a pharmacy ideally pretty soon so they're going to be piling it with NBA players, testing them daily, seeing how efficient they are at, you know, detecting positive or negative. That's going to be along with, you know, whatever other tests. I think they're doing swap tests. So, you know, they're trying to get some good technology to fight COVID out of this. So I think that's really cool. And once again, it just shows how ahead of the game the NBA is, that they're, they're thinking about ways to innovate. They're thinking of ways to, you know, be ahead of the game. On the other hand, obviously, this, this is a, it's a serious virus, too. And... Uh, well, why don't you talk about, there's, some guys are going to be sitting out. So who's sitting out? Well, right now we have three guys who are sitting out. Avery Bradley, Trevor Reza, and Thomas Bertans. Avery Bradley and Trevor Reza are sitting out due to COVID concerns. I think uh, Trevor Reza has like a visitation with his son for a month. And uh, if he goes into the bubble, he won't be able to see his son. Avery Bradley uh, has a six-year-old son who has respiratory issues, so he's opting out. Is in uh, danger of uh, contaminating his son, and you know, God bless them both. If they have concerns about you know with their family, then you know that's on them. No, I'm not gonna hate on them. Nobody should hate on them. If they're concerned, it's their right to sit out. 
Dallas Bertans is a different story. He's sitting out because he's he's you know he's he blew up. He had an incredible year, a really so good far. year, and he wants to get paid. And if he plays, he knows he's he, he's afraid he's going to get injured because you know you sit out for a long time and then you get back into the, the, the swing of things. There's a higher chance you can get injured uh, when you try to over accelerate yourself too fast. And so also. It's a smart thing, and it also is a little bit concerning to me that other players because are doing this. But you know, it's not going to be the top tier, greatest, the best players in the league who are going to be doing that. It's going to be the guys. I think it's going to be the role players. Yeah, guys in contract years, mostly role players who had great years, going to be kind of doing that. They don't want to risk the bag. What that also means is that there's going to be a large influx of free agents that are going to be available to take their spots. So Avery Bradley, for example, he's sitting out. He's on the Lakers, and J.R. Smith is the leading candidate to replace him. So we might see LeBron and J.R. united. You know, J.R., obviously, he had his big gaffe two years ago in the finals where he forgot to shoot the ball. I think he gets too much flack for that, honestly. I don't. I think that was really just a boneheaded play. Honestly, you know, you could blame George Hill for missing a free throw that actually could have won in the game. You can blame everybody, but the fact is that was just a... possession that had gone away it's not even like he shot Obviously it, it was a i'm not disputing it was a boneheaded moment i don't think it's as bad as everybody says it was oh i think it is i think it's just it was uh it was hilarious for comedy but the whole momentum of the series switched immediately because lebron had such an unbelievable game he had such an unbelievable start and it just got blown away the whole well, the whole opportunity to win game one on the road was gone well the cows were not winning that series anyway okay but again you never know because they lost game one on the road when they had it on, you know, they had it in their hands, really to something that was just inexplicable, like a high school level mistake. Yeah, well, you also, you know, you just mentioned how J.R. Smith is the favorite to take over everybody. The NBA's uh, transaction window has just begun today for, uh, you know, players who got waived and stuff like that. So this is actually, this will be airing Thursday. We're recording Wednesday night, so this might not be the most recent, but as of Wednesday night, What's the news out of the NBA? Well, um, there's a couple of players who got, have been signed to uh, teams. The Nets just picked up uh, Tyler Johnson, who was waived by the Suns. Uh, he averaged like five points per game. What do you think about that pickup for our team? Well, they waived Theo Pinson. Theo Pinson, you know, as a Nets fan, Theo Pinson was like the best cheerleader of the team. Uh, great guy for morale. He was a beast in the G League. Unfortunately, he was averaging something like three points per game this year on really horrible numbers, just was not impacting the game at all. And I think with this move, the Nets are really saying that, you know, they are trying to be competitive, that they do believe in themselves to have good chances in this whole new revamp playoffs. And they're also saying that they're not trying to mess up and slip up into some weird play-in, that they're trying to secure that seventh seed, avoid the play-in, and then try to make a deep run in the playoffs. Even though on paper... They're definitely weaker than most of the Eastern Conference teams. I think that they do have some things going for them. So I think it's a, it's a fighting move. And I do like it. I think Tyler Johnson, he had very limited numbers. I think he only played something like 500 minutes this season. So he definitely had a limited run. And the Nets were very high on him. They tried to sign him for a four-year, $50 million deal a couple of years ago. The Heat matched. But Tyler Johnson said he felt really good about the fit in Brooklyn. And I think if he can recapture his magic that he had on the Heat, because he was a beast in Miami, I think that he'll be a really great addition, especially in place of Theo Pinson. Uh, also, uh, the former Net who got injured during the season, uh, David Nwaba, just signed reportedly in Houston for a two-year deal. Wow. So, uh, yeah, you know, we saw him play, and he had a lot of potential, especially on defense. Uh, and uh, uh, I he, think that's actually a, a pretty good sign. He's a great pickup for Houston, too, especially locking him up for two years, meaning that uh, if Houston has a deep run, that he'll just be a great defender, a guy that can come in because, obviously, 
Ross and Harden got a rest too. And to have a guy who can kind of lock down the opposing guard on defense while those guys are resting is just a really smart pickup. So it's a, I think it's a good move by the Rockets. Then we have uh, Joakim Noah, who's with the Grizzlies. He just signed with the Clippers. That's actually kind of a big move to me. Because he, uh, I think, not this season, but he was playing pretty well for the Grizzlies last season. Um, you know, it was a limited time uh, that, you know, he got traded to the Knicks of the Grizzlies. A limited time that people saw him play there. But I think it actually is, uh, you know, they got some size maybe to deal with AD in the, if they meet them in the playoffs. Right. I, I think, think that's actually a, good, a pretty good pickup. For I think that's a good point. I think that uh, with that move, they're, you know, they're calling out the Lakers, especially because Dwight Howard might be sitting out. So they're basically addressing immediately, you know, you guys might be losing depth. And honestly, I don't know how much he fits with that team. But Joakim knows always been a very versatile center. In a way, he's kind of ahead of the game. A lot of people don't realize this, but he finished fourth in MVP voting one year with the Bulls. And that was uh, just by basically putting up near triple doubles every game uh, was, as a center. He a he so a he's, uh, he's a very unique kind of player. I think that if he was kind of, if that player was playing the modern NBA, he would thrive. He's kind of ahead of his time. Now I think he's a bit too old, and he doesn't really fit with uh, the Clippers' style of play, in my opinion. But I think that the fact that they have size and it's a passing big man who could get the ball to Kawhi or Paul George, I think is just a, it's a smart pickup. And especially, he's one of the biggest centers on the market because there really aren't that many free agents. We'll talk about it in a second. So the fact that they could get him before the Lakers because Dwight Howard is still mulling what he wants to do, I think is just a really smart move. And it's just, again, the Clippers are trying to get every advantage they could get going into this playoffs because they know it's going to be a fight. And then, you know, we got two, you know, smaller name players, Towers, that are going to uh, play for San Antonio and uh, Anthony Tolliver signing with the Grizzlies. And Corey Brewer to the Kings, which is a non-move because the Kings aren't going anywhere. But Corey Brewer, he did used to play for the Kings. So, you know, they just welcomed him back. And I'm sure they're just going to get some highlights of him while they fizzle out of the playoffs in Orlando. So out of these players that, you know, have just gotten signed, what do you like the most? I really like uh, David Nwaba to Houston. Yeah, but is, is he going to play this year? I don't even know. I don't know. I, I think on principle, though, I think it's just it's a good signing anyway. I, he was one of the better signings, in my opinion, for the Nets when they got him. Unfortunately, he got injured, and they kind of scummed in with a cut. Um, but yeah, he, he's he's a very good defender, and uh, defense does matter. If you have like one of those defensive linchpins in the NBA, you know, you're, you're set. That, because nobody plays defense anyway, so just to, ha- just to have one guy who can hold it down is a big deal. And uh, from what I saw in the Nets, Wallow was an excellent defender, so I think he's just going to really, really smart pickup. And I, who knows? I actually, I don't know if he ends up playing. That just even makes it even better. Uh, I also, I really like the signing as a Nets fan with Tyler Johnson because they just addressed a glaring weakness, which is just uh, we depth. Need, we needed point guard depth, for sure. Yeah, yeah, there's just depth. Guard depth was was uh, a big hole. Theo Pinson just couldn't do it, and uh, especially without Kyrie, I think it's really encouraging that we saw him. Uh, you know, get replaced. It means that the Nets are expecting to fight, like I said, and, you know, that's a good sign for me because I don't want to see the Nets fizzle out of the playoffs. I don't want to see them in the play-in. I want to see them really make a deep run. I believe in them. Even no Kyrie, no KD, I really think that they can... I don't think they're going to go to the finals or anything, but I think that they can surprise some people because they got chemistry at the end of the day. Uh, to me, I would... I, you know, I don't really believe that much in Tower Johnson. You know, I know you like him a lot, but I have to believe it until I see it for me. Uh, you know, I'm, I really like the Joel Kimono signing to the Clippers. Um, you know, they don't really have that much height on their team to deal with Anthony Davis if they meet, meet up with them in the postseason. So I actually think that's actually a pretty good signing. I really like that signing for the Clippers. It makes them a little bit better. But realistically, how much is Joe Kim Noah going to be playing? We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I guess. No, it remains to be seen. But I think it was actually a good signing. Then that also leaves, you know, the bigger question. There's, you know, a laundry list of players 
who are still available to be signed. And there's also a lot of open spots too, and potentially even more open spots because the rosters are now 17. Right. The rosters are and people will be sitting out either due to COVID or due to the protests, which are still ongoing. So uh, let's break it down, and I'll just tell you what I think about some of these players around the market. So we got Demarcus Cousins, who intends to sit out, uh, but if you know if he doesn't. Um, that's a wild card uh, signing to me. You don't really know how he's going to look after injuries and stuff like that, but I wouldn't be surprised if a team takes a fly on him in the playoffs or something. He did play well for the Warriors last year. Right, in li- very limited time. In per yeah. 36, his numbers were still very good. Yeah. There's um, Joe Johnson, who... Shout know, out Joe Johnson. He played to, in the Big Three last summer. He played so well, he actually got a contract uh, by the Pistons. He got waived before the season starts, but... Right. You know... I'd love to see him back in Brooklyn, honestly. Yeah, I mean... He's I saw Joe, uh, you know. I saw Joe can get buckets at the end of the day. I saw Joe. He was really. I remember those were some of the most fun moments for me. You know, watching Joe Johnson in the clutch. Um, that would be cool to see him again in the NBA in the playoffs. He's always good in the playoffs too. It should also be mentioned that you know he played in the Big Three. Big Three is kind of a veterans league, but he just did not fit in there. He he, it was disgusting how badly he, he destroyed everybody. He destroyed everybody. Like Joe Johnson, you say what you want about him, but he's extremely reliable. Uh, he's very consistent, even though he's a bit older. There's no reason why he can't just come in, be a quick spark plug. He's super clutch, super clutch. Everywhere he's gone, he's hit super clutch shots in the postseason. He's basically exactly the kind of guy you need to rely on a big bucket last second. No matter how old he is, you know, he can always hit that big, important three. He's just money in that sense. He knows how to lock in, so... Uh, I'd love to see him in Brooklyn personally. I know we really need clutch shooting, and I think especially considering how badly Torrey and Prince has played in the clutch, to have a guy like Joe Johnson who could just come and give the Nets a couple of more iconic moments uh, would be really cool. I know. Now we also got you know Isaiah Thomas. Not really sold on Isaiah Thomas anymore. I'm sorry. I think his time in this league has passed. You know, I had some really great years with the Celtics. Unfortunately, he just got he got, he got hurt. You know, and uh, I think the league kind of figured him out a little bit too. You know, Isaiah Thomas is always going to be a legend, you know, for those two years that he had with the Celtics. Unbelievable. But, uh, unfortunately, uh, I don't really see him in the NBA. Where could you see him going if he does get signed? Because keep in mind, there is extra depth. There's no reason why not to take a chance on a guy who did average 30 points per game just a few years ago. I honestly, I don't know, to be honest. I really have no idea. Maybe, like, I, don't, I honestly don't know. I like, think he's, he's virtually a good fit anywhere. Most, te- most teams could afford, just because well, you have to keep in mind, they have the extra depth. I mean, obviously, you could take a flyer on him, for sure. But the question is, would you rather take a guy like Isaiah Thomas, who, like you said, he's kind of been figured out. Uh, he's a bit on the shorter side of the more athletic guards. Uh, he just hasn't been playing well in the last couple of teams. He's bounced around the league. Uh, or do you just pick a guy from your G League squad? Most G League squads are so integrated with their parent teams that players in the G League squad know that you know the parent team's plans. So you can just take a guy and plug him in. Uh, what do you think about that? Do you think that there are any big names that really deserve some consideration, or should most teams just be going deep into their G League pocket? I would consider Jared Smith. I know he's getting clowned a lot, but you know he has proven to be. I think for his career, he's like a thirty-seven percent three-point shooter in the regular season and in the postseason. Oh, and he's hit some great shots so too. He, and for the he's Cavs. hit some great shots for the Cavs. You know, he had that great year on the Knicks too. I would be. Uh, uh, Jared Smith would be an interesting uh, signing to me. Iman Shumpert also would be. He played for the Nets a couple of games this season. He looked pretty good. Yeah, uh, very limited action. Though. Very limited action. He looked pretty good. That would be a good signing for me. Lance Stevenson, too, has shown to be like a, a glue guy. What do you think about Jamal Crawford? Because I know that a couple of guys in the league have been tweeting about, oh, we need Jamal Crawford back. You know, he did score 50 points in his last game. But what do you think about using Jamal Crawford? I think it'll be pretty cool to see Jamal Crawford back in the NBA. I know a lot of people want to see him back. 
he is on the older side. Uh, much older side. On the much older side, but I would like to see Jamal Crawford back for sure. And I think kind of the philosophy here is just because there are the extra spots and it's already such a it's such a confusing season as it is. On one hand, you don't want to take guys who move completely out of the mix. On the other hand, I think that getting a guy like Jamal Crawford or Lance Stevenson or JR, obviously, you know, I hear that Pau Gasol also, uh, you know, he didn't officially retire. He mentioned that he wants to go do one last year at the Lakers. Maybe he'd be a great pickup for the Lakers if Dwight Howard sits just to have that extra big man depth. Uh, but just to see those kind of names, even the guys who, you know, maybe are like a bit washed, but just because there is the extra space and those guys are still probably better than most of the dudes, most of the younger guys in the G League. Uh, I also think Gerald Green would be a good uh, a good signing. You know, he played with Houston. He played really well for them, too. Right. I'm actually shocked that he's not on a team. Yeah, I would really like to see Gerald Green on a team, too. Um, hopefully, he gets picked up. But just to add to my point, I feel like, you know, just because of all the uncertainty, it would just be nice to see a couple of the more familiar names. It might be, like, their swan song. Even the guy, you know, they're not the biggest names. But just the fact that it's such a weird season anyway, just to make it a little weirder and, you know, give these guys another shot at glory. And I think it could be a nice spark for a couple of teams to just have some hungry guys who want to go for a ring. Because at the end of the day, it's not like these guys can be signed by, you know, teams that aren't playing. You know, the worst teams in the league, their seasons are over. So it's not like they can sign any of these guys, which is normally what you see. They'll sign someone for a couple of games to demo them out or to give some last second veteran leadership. They're not going to have that. Everybody's going to be signed now to be signed to a playoff team or a team that's hunting for the playoffs. So aside from teams like the Kings, which have virtually no shot, or the Suns have no like virtually zero chance, uh, I think that the mix could be really interesting. I would like to say that with all these little new things that the NBA is adding, uh, you know, with the 17-man roster and the play-in tournament, this actually is setting up to be a really, really entertaining NBA season. It was a lot of drama. And I think that... Uh... The one thing that I'm really curious about is how it's going to be without the noise because I watched some uh, La Liga action. I watched a Barcelona game. They have this like CGI audience, and it's very, very strange. Yeah. Um. I honestly like. I just would like to see it with was an empty gym. I think it'd be pretty cool to hear the players, you know, talk smack, talk talk smack to each other, and how they communicate on the floor. That would be pretty cool to me to see. Thank you for listening to the Getting Buckets podcast. Follow us on Twitter at GetBucketPod. We're currently on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, so subscribe to us on Apple and follow us on Spotify. We'll see you next week. Peace.